Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. You guys ready? I'm glad you're excited. Um, Hold on. Okay. All right. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me. Uh, Super thankful my parents. Uh, Thank you, Mom and Dad, Daddy, for having me back. Um, Super grateful. I understand how powerful this this means to them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can share with you again today. Uh, my name is Matt Clayton. I am a media pastor here at the Art Church. I work with a great team. We develop a lot of the digital assets you see around here, screens, social media memes, that's us. Um, and I also am the, thank you, that one media person right there. That's what I'm talking about, media. Um, social media. Um, I'm also, I, I also work with a group called Project Playground. We build playgrounds for kids all over the world if you haven't seen them. Yes. And then last but not least, I am the eldest child of my parents, Alan and Joy Clayton. Um, now, yep, that's, yep. Um, it, just for proof, uh, here's a photo, a family photo, and you guys can keep this up here. So, I don't know why you guys are laughing. There's nothing funny about this photo. Um, no, it's a funny photo. It's a really funny photo. And so, like 18 years ago, this is when this photo was taken. We used to send out these photos for Christmas cards all over. Anyone here get one of these cards? All right, got a couple hands. All right, so this photo is very funny. This is like the last photo we ever took um, for good reason. So here you have, this is my brother Michael. He heads up our youth department. He does a great job. It looks like Michael photobombed the family photo. It's kind of like we're like, you know what, Michael? Sure, go ahead, come on in. Get in there. Um, that is my sister, Christina. We call her Stina, or I do. Um, I'm sorry, Christina, I could not blow out your face. Um, couldn't figure out Photoshop, but she, is, she lives in Tulsa. She's incredible. She's got a great family. This is my mother. Um, she has not aged at all. Like, I was looking at this photo, and I was like, I don't know if she's real. Um, <laughs> she might be a hologram, or she's an angel. That's very, two very real possibilities. Um, this is my father. He's done pretty good. Dad's done pretty good. I'm like, you've aged pretty decent, Dad. And then there's me. Um, this was during my Italian era, you know, era, era. I was like all into my Italian heritage. My dad's like, your last name is Clayton. But I mean, I look like an extra from like the Godfather. Um, like what, Noziti? Um, I mean, I kind of look like I just got off shift from the Olive Garden pushing <laughs> pasta bread bowls on somebody. Not that I have anything against pasta bread bowls. But the fact that makes this photo so funny is the placement. Because I'm doing this in a family photo. And I don't know who does this in a family photo, but it's obviously this guy right here. And I'm just like right up on my dad. I'm like this. I'm like, let's take this photo. I think the photographer's like, hey, Matt, you're physically twice the size of everybody else in your family. Why don't you hover over them like an ogre? Um, But this photo was funny because our placement is all off. 
Michael kind of looks weird, looks like he's photobombing us. I look awkward. We're not placed right. That's a pretty funny photo. What I want to talk to you about this morning is finding your place in God's kingdom. Because sometimes when you don't find your place in God's kingdom, you can feel like me or Michael. You're either like, hey, I guess I'm a part of God's family, or you're like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> but when you find your place in God's kingdom, you're just like my mom and my dad and Christina, right in the middle, right where God wants you to be. Um, if you, oh, hold on, I gotta take a picture for YouTube. <laughs> How about that one? Is that my good side? All right, all right. We got it, it's for the thumbnail. First service didn't take. Um, okay, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Chunky Jesus Talks to You About Finding Your Place in God's Kingdom and Other Things Too. Um, if you know, you know. Okay. So sometimes people have the wrong place. And if you haven't found your place yet, this message might be for you. But there's some myths that we can have about finding our place in God's kingdom. And I'm going to myth bust those myths right now. Rapid fire. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Okay, so one of the myths people might say about finding their place in God's kingdom is, I'm not the right age, Matt. I'm not, not the right age. I'm either too young or too old. Well, we just had our kids for Summer of the Max raise $3,600 to send 10 playgrounds to Mexico. That's right. They did awesome. They cleaned out piggy banks. They sold lemonade. Don't forget, King David was just a teenager when he slayed uh, Goliath. Um, also, you might say, Matt, I'm just too old. I give you Jim Eby, one of the missionaries that we support. He was a pastor for years here in the States, and he spent his retirement in his 70s going all over the world, Bangladesh, Nepal, training over 150,000 missionary uh, pastors. In his 70s, that's what he's doing. Don't forget, God called Moses and Joshua in their 80s to fulfill the plan that God had for them. You are not too old. That's not a good excuse. Here's another excuse you might have is, Matt, my childhood was jacked. You'll understand how bad it was. I give you Guinea Anderson. Guinea Anderson is another missionary that we support. Guinea's wife, Lisa, have ministries from Berlin to Vietnam, orphanages, schools, and churches. Guinea grew up in an orphanage as an orphan in India. Probably the most destitute, toughest situation possible, but God was able to use him to do powerful and awesome things. Another missionary that we support. You might say, Matt, you understand, I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. I don't have the resources. Bad excuse. Let me give you Ben Gill, another missionary we support. Ben Gill is, was a truck driver with an eighth grade education from the valley. Shows up to La Paz, Bolivia, not knowing a soul with two suitcases. And 15 years later, he had a TV ministry in that city reaching millions every single day. Another missionary that we support still, Ben Gill. Resources is not an excuse. You might say, well, Matt, you understand what I had to give is way too small. I give you Roundup in the cafe. We have this little sticker, Roundup your change for missions. Roundup alone has raised $3,000 for missions just by people rounding up their change. If you have bought a donut or you bought coffee or anything in the cafe, you have contributed to what I like to call our missionary slush fund. We've been able to take thousands of dollars above and beyond what we normally give to missionaries and provide their needs when they have them. Recently, we, able to, we were able to purchase air conditioning systems for an orphanage that we support in Romania. And we got to buy a dinghy in the South Pacific Islands for a missionary group that works and goes island to island. They call it the Ark. This is possible because 
You bought a donut. Small things matter. Now, here's my two favorite things that people say. These are myths they have about finding their place in God's kingdom. You say, Matt, I can't find my place in God's kingdom because I need to be paid full-time ministry to do that. I give you exhibit me. Now, I am... Oh, no, Tommy, that's a great photo. Um, I work full-time as a media pastor here at the church, but I volunteer for my own ministry that I founded as a missionary. I don't take a salary. I don't get paid. We just hired a guy to help us out in the yard a couple hours a week. He makes more than I do. I'm a volunteer in my own foundation. You do not have to work full-time to make a difference in ministry. I'm a volunteer missionary. Now, here's the big one, and you say, Matt, I can't, you know, I can't find my place in God's kingdom because I'm not Pastor Allen. You know, that's his job. Justin, Miss Joy, that's, that's their job to do that. Well, I give you scripture. Someone say, finally. Um, <laughs> so this is Ephesians, and it's a great scripture. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, keep that up there. So Christ himself gave evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. It doesn't say that his people are supposed to equip the pastors and teachers and evangelists. It's the other way around. Pastor Allen's job is to help you do what God's called you to do. His job is to give you the tools that you need to go do and find the place God has you in his kingdom. He's one person. You are thousands. We have thousands of people in a church that are in the right place where God's called them, doing what God's called them to do. We have a church that changes the community, that changes the world. His job is to help you do what God's called you to do, not the opposite way around. So now I've thoroughly convinced you that all your myths about finding God's place are completely obliterated. And that is an exhaustive list. You might say, Matt, well, how do I find my place in God's kingdom? Wayne Gadero says something I love. He says, God's kingdom is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. On a cruise ship, we're just hanging out. On a battleship, everybody has a job. We're going to take a look at a guy in the Bible who was just a dude. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prince or a king. He was a servant, but he has a whole book of the Bible about him. And his name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah found out his place in God's kingdom. And we're going to take a look at that story right now. So we're going to go to Nehemiah, the first chapter. This is the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakakaliah. Great baby name. Um, You're looking for something unique. Uh, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananini, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and I was cupbearer to the king. So let me give you some context for the story. This happens 150 years after Jerusalem had fallen. God had warned the Israelites, if you keep on messing up, bad things are going to happen. They didn't listen. 
All the nations came, destroyed Jerusalem. The Jewish people are now spread around the nations, away from their homeland, away from a lot of things. Nehemiah was one of those guys. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He's Jewish, but he is not. He was, he was 150 years removed from that. It's like the 1870s. All right. Plus, Nehemiah at this time is in Susa, which is 800 miles away by camel in modern-day Iran. This guy is far removed. But he, he wants to know what's happening there, and he finds out his heart is broken because he finds out that the gates are burned down and there's no walls. And this is bad news for a city. See, a city with no walls means the people have no protection, which means you can't have anything nice. In fact, the Bible describes them as survivors in Jerusalem. And they were doing just that. Because anytime you got anything nice, some roaming band of whoever would come and take it from you. So these people were just surviving. It's like if I, someone took the front door off your house and left it off. You're exposed to the elements. You wouldn't want to keep anything nice in there. It would be a bad situation. So Nehemiah hears this and things begin to change in his life. But we see him find God's place in his kingdom. So if we're going to find our place, one of the things we need to do is be willing to see see, Nehemiah inquired of what was happening in Jerusalem. From all we know, he was living a pretty comfortable life, doing pretty well, far removed from those problems and from those people. But out of nowhere, he decides to ask what's going on. When he found out what was happening, it stirred inside his heart, and it was the Lord. You know, we live in a world with lots and lots of distractions. We live in a world that's very busy. You can distract yourself and not see a single thing. But one of the things that we're going to find our place in God's kingdom is we really need to open our eyes to the hurting humanity that's all around us. It's easy to close our eyes. It's easy not to see it. People ask me, Matt, how did Project Playground begin? And I wish the story was rosy, but it's not really rosy, okay? This is how it began. I was living in Bolivia, and I graduated college, and I was living there, and I didn't know what to do, and I was bored. And so I was living by myself. I, was, I had a routine I was very comfortable with. I would make myself dinner like eggs and ham, and then I would go and watch reruns of The Office on DVD. That's how old <laughs> I am. Um, and I loved it. It was great. That's what I did. But the more I did this, the more bored and depressed I got. I was like, I don't know what to do. Just every single night, eating by myself, watching The Office. Love The Office, nothing against it, not great. My mom was like, hey, Matt, why don't you get off your hiney, because she thinks that's a better word than butt, and go outside and be with the people, with the kids, take pictures, do something. I'm like, I don't want to do that. It's comfortable in here. It's cold out there. It's a little dangerous out there, right? I like watching The Office. Plus, there's no Steve Carell out there. That's fun. But she pushed me, and eventually I did. I went outside, and I started hanging out with the kids in my neighborhood. And when I did, my eyes got open to the hurting humanity that was all around. You see, what happened was the kids that were in my community were living in a pretty rough situation. You see, I didn't realize it, but we had open sewage that was in the streets. Most people didn't have bathrooms, so they used the restroom in the fields. And the kids would play in the sewage in the fields. When I saw this, my heart was broken. It wasn't safe. It wasn't sanitary. It wasn't good. Then as I walked around our neighborhood, I noticed there was no playground at all, nothing near. And so I just got the idea, what if we build a playground? It wasn't, I didn't have an angel come before me. It wasn't a flaming scroll. It was just like my heart went out to these kids playing in the sewers. And so we decided to build a playground. 
And what we built was very rude, very simple metal playground. But what happened changed everything for me because when we built the playground, the children's ministry doubled in size, the community shifted and changed, and all the kids would line up for hours to play in our playground every single Sunday morning. And then 16 years later, we've built 68 playgrounds in 17 countries. But it all began when I was willing to get outside my room, get outside my comfort zone, and go see the needs that were going on around me. If I would have stayed inside, Project Playground probably wouldn't exist. How do we see? How do we open our eyes to what's going on around us? Sometimes it requires us to put down distractions. I can't have Instagram on my phone. I just can't. I love it too much. I like to look at memes. I could watch people hurting themselves for hours and hours. If I have Instagram on my phone, I ignore everyone else in the room. I have to delete it. It's not on my phone right now. Why? Because I will not, I'm so distracted by it. I miss people standing right in front of me. You give me five minutes by myself and I'm like on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, hold on one second. That's not good. I have to delete it so that I can, my eyes can be open to what's going on around me. Maybe it's just getting into your neighborhood, bringing cookies to somebody. Maybe it's taking the guy in the cubicle next to you out to lunch and paying for it. Maybe it's going on a mission trip and seeing how these kids live in these other countries and what goes on in the rest of the world and how the Christian body loves the Lord but does so with so little. Whatever it is, the first thing we need to do if we're in a finer place in God's kingdom is we've got to open our eyes and it looks different for every single person. If we're in a finer place in God's kingdom, we've got to be willing to serve. See, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, which means he was the servant to the king. And this king was not a Christian king. By all accounts, he was Persian. He was a pagan. But Nehemiah was his servant, which means he would bring food. He would bring chicken. King's like, I want chicken. Nehemiah's bringing chicken. King's like, hey, I want some water. I got some water right here, sir. He was like a glorified butler for this king. His job had some good parts, had some bad parts. The good parts is you're tasting all the king's food to make sure it's great. The bad part is people are trying to poison the king all the time. And your job was to take the bullet if someone was trying to poison the king. So you take a sip of that water, king's looking at you, and he's like, all right, we're good. <laughs> I'll take it. He is a cupbearer. You had to taste all the food to make sure it was all safe for the king. So high risk, high reward, but it was a good job. But here's the deal. Nehemiah was a servant. He understood what it meant to do something for somebody else. He understood that it wasn't all about him. If you're going to be a really good servant, you can't just be all about yourself. You're serving and doing something for somebody else. A bad server does things for themselves. If I order a hamburger and the server brings out a hot dog because he's like, well, I like hot dogs, so here you go. That's not a good servant. You're not getting a good tip as a waiter. Nehemiah understood this. So Nehemiah is serving before the king his face is sad and the king's like, yo, bud, why are you sad? Nehemiah's like, I'm sorry, king, but just found out my city that my ancestors are from is burned. The walls are down. My people are surviving. It's a rough situation. The king says, what would you like? And Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king, send me back to my homeland to rebuild the wall. The king says, all right, it pleases me, go. So Nehemiah goes. Now, as a servant, you're oriented towards action, but it's not for yourself. Nehemiah prays first. Then he doesn't just leave. 
He talks to the king. When the king gives for permission, he goes. We serve a king. We're not king. God's king. And we serve other people, which means we can't be number one. That means God's number one and we do what he tells us to do. I truly believe that Nehemiah was able to find his place in God's kingdom because first he was a servant and he understood what it meant to do something for somebody else and not put himself first. I, on the other hand, did not learn this well. This is the toughest thing I've had to learn. You see, I was on the mission field pretty early on and for years, I, my wife and I, we worked for other missionaries, which is great until you have to do what they want you to do and you can't do what you want you to do, which is not so much fun. And I had a hard time with that. I know it was surprising, but I had a hard time doing what other people wanted me to do. So after three years of experience at the ripe old age of 27, I decide, you know what, Matt, you need to be your own boss. You got to be number one, all right? Why don't you just run your own mission organization, forget all these other missionaries and do your own thing? And I said to myself, that sounds like a great idea, Matt. So Kelly and I moved to Peru to start our own mission organization. Didn't really talk to anybody, really didn't pray much about it. We just wanted to be our own bosses, do our own thing. And we failed miserably, okay? You want to talk about spectacular failure? That was it. We tried to hire some of our close friends. They still don't talk to us. I don't blame them. It was a dumpster fire. It was bad news. It was a bad time, a bad season. I was trying to be number one. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be it. It didn't work out. I didn't know how to serve. I had to come back here with my tail tucked between my legs, working for somebody else, not my own boss. But then I began to learn what it meant to serve. And when I did, I believe God opened the door and we were able to land our very first playground from Conroe. And that was in Bolivia right here, just six months later. This is 11 years to the date. We were there in Bolivia 11 years ago this time. I'm convinced if I would have stayed trying to do my own thing, I probably wouldn't have had Project Playground. But the Lord gave it to me, not because I deserved it, but because I learned how to serve. I didn't learn it early enough. I had Ricky Bobby syndrome. If you ain't first, you're last. Our society likes to say that. If you're not first, you're last. It's about being number one. Second place is first loser. I had Ricky Bobby syndrome and I had to learn that it's not about me. I serve the king. I serve other people. It's not about me. Society says it is, but God's kingdom is different than society. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and see who has what. We're going to be like, what, that guy has this? And that guy has that? Who's this guy? It's because he served and did what God told him to do. Take a look at this scripture. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, if you want to be good, great in my kingdom, be a servant. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the universe, the only one that deserves to be served, came to serve. And he set the ultimate example for us. We're going to find our place in God's kingdom. We have to be willing to be a servant. Nehemiah was a servant. Last point is this. If we're going to be, find our place in God's kingdom, we have to be willing not to quit. 
Nehemiah faced a lot of difficulties. So the king says, go Nehemiah, and the king gives him all the resources he needs to build the wall. But Nehemiah has to leave this very comfortable palace that he's living in, this great food that he's eating. He has to travel 800 miles by camel through the beautiful countries of Iran, Iraq, and Syria, and Jordan, all the places that's on everybody's top travel list, right? It's tough going. It's very dangerous. It's not fun. Then he goes to Jerusalem, and everybody's like, who this? Why should I listen to you? So he has to convince everybody that he's going to help him build the wall. They're fighting amongst themselves. All the enemies of Israel find out Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall. And they're like, I don't think so. We like raiding Jerusalem. So they're threatening to kill him the entire time. At one point, Nehemiah said that he had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. They're building a wall. You got a sword in your hand. You're ready to fight. People are trying to kill him the entire time. He was trying to build a wall to protect them. But he stayed laser focused to the end, overcame every circumstance that came his way. And in 52 days, with the help of the Lord, they were able to build the wall around Jerusalem. It's a pretty powerful story. If we're going to do something for God, we have to be willing not to quit. We're going to deal with circumstances that come our way, but they're not going to be like raiding bands of Hittites. You know, it's not going to be 800-mile camel rides. It's different stuff. It's changing our schedule. It's doing something we're not quite comfortable doing. It's not going to that event so we can go to church the next day. It's sometimes sleeping in some place we don't want to sleep. Sometimes having a conversation with somebody you don't want to have a conversation with. It's going outside our comfort zones for other people. Sometimes it requires some sacrifice from, from our end. You can't, all things, inconveniences that can make you want to quit, but you have to power through them if you're going to do and find the place that God has for you. Recently we went to Mexico and a great team here from the Art Church. We had like 14, 15 people that went with us. I can't keep track. And right before we had a Zoom call and I was like, hey guys, guess what? This is not going to be easy. This is going to be a tough trip. You can back out now. We're going to be working 12-hour days. It's going to be hot. Our living arrangements aren't the best. We're in northern Mexico, which just recently hit the news. So it's going to be an interesting trip. Are you ready to go? They all said yes. We went. And it was harder than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> the ground was all stabilized sand. We were having to chip through the ground to hand cut the holes. That's me on my phone watching them do it. It was awful. I was like, get back to work. We worked 12-hour days. In the end, in two and a half days, we built five playgrounds in Mexico for hundreds of kids. Two and a half days. That was a push. That was tough. We were working 12-hour days. It was 105 degrees outside. Somehow it was hotter there than it was here at the time. It was rough. But that whole crew pushed through together, and we were able to do something for other kids. If you're going to find your place in God's kingdom, you're going to have to push through difficulties and not quit when the going gets tough. But there's some good things on the other end. Let's talk about that real quick. When you find your place in God's kingdom, you'll find provision. That's right. When Nehemiah leaves to go build the wall, the king gave him all the supplies he needed to do it. When you find your place in God's kingdom, God will give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. He will provide for you. 
Your provision follows your place. When you find your place, your provision will follow. God told Abraham that you're, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing. He didn't say I'm blessing you so you can just chill. He says I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. When we find our place, we find a provision. When we find our place, we also find our people, our community. Nehemiah said in the fifth chapter that he had 150 guys sitting at his table every single night. The man had a party. That's a really good time. He found his people. He found his community when he found his place. Let me tell you something. All my friends, literally every single one of them, they're not my childhood friends and not buddies who are just really cool to hang out with. It's people I serve with. It's people I serve with in our kids. It's people I serve with Project Playground. Those are the people I spend time with. Those are the people I love being with. The most wonderful times of fellowship I've ever had have been after doing a 12-hour day in the hot sun, sitting around a campfire in Africa, talking about what God is doing. Coming back from Mexico in a truck, that's also hot, having worked so hard having fellowship, talking about how much God is doing. If you want to be my friend, come serve with me. If you want to find your people, if you want to find your community, find your place in God's kingdom. The last thing is this, when you find your place in God's kingdom, you'll find your purpose. I think that's something that everybody looks for, right? Purpose. Living for something bigger than yourself. Nehemiah builds a wall. Very simple, nothing fancy. It's a wall. But a little while later, there's a revival in Jerusalem. They return to the worship of the Lord as it was meant to be. 400 years later, Jesus walks through Nehemiah's gates on a donkey on his way to Calvary. When you find your place, you'll find your purpose. And when you do something and live for something that's bigger than yourself, there's nothing better in the whole wide world. Really, when you find your place, you find life, provision, people, purpose. Isn't that what we're all looking for? That's what happens when you find your place. And God has a place for every single person here. I'll leave you with this story. Um, I was, this was years ago. I was in, I, I was in Oklahoma City. I was flying back here. I was working in children's ministry at the time. And it was Sunday morning. And I was going to fly back before service started. And Dr. Ellen Moore was like, you're not going to make it. I'm like, bet you 20 bucks I will. You understand, I'm Matt Clayton. I fly a lot on planes. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I get to the airport like at 4 a.m. I'm that dad who's got all the stuff ready to go like super early. I'm there hours before my flight. I sit down at my gate. Immediately I fall asleep. I wake up, realize I'm at the wrong gate. I find my gate two gates down. And I literally walk up as my plane is taxiing away. I freaked out. I was not in a good way. I was messed up. I was absolutely messed up. I was frustrated. I had to like do the, you know, call Ellen, be like, I'm not going to make it. You were right. I can't do this. I was going to miss church service, which was a big deal for me. And then I called Kelly. She's like, I'll come pick you up. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm on the next flight, but it's like in six hours. I'm like, I'm not going to do the walk of shame back to your family, okay? Just let me wallow in my misery, in my idiocracy by myself, okay? Just leave me alone. I'm going to sit here and sit in my misery. So I'm sitting at the airport for like seven hours, and it's me and like one other person in the entire airport. This is Oklahoma City, people. So as I'm sitting there, I'm just trying to listen to music. I'm just trying to get my head straight. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. 
And the lady next to me, she's a little older lady, and um, she's having a hard time struggling. I'm just like, can I help you with something? She's like, hey, my phone's dead. Do you have a charger? I gave her a charger. She starts to charge her phone. We're the only ones in the airport. We start having a conversation. Life is in a bad way. She's broken, trouble at home, trouble with her son who's around my age, all kinds of stuff going on. She's heading back to her home in Alaska. So we had this conversation, great. I get my charger back, wonderful. So I make it to my actual gate. I'm getting on the airplane to Houston and I come and sit down to, lo and behold, her on the airplane. I'm like, just great, God, what I wanted. Seven hours of talking to a stranger in an airport. That's not what I wanted. I just want to be by myself. I want to be not bothered. I'm like, can I get a moment of peace to wallow in my misery for just a second? I was being completely selfish. So I'm sitting next to her on the inside. I feel like God speak to me and say, ask her if she wants to say yes to Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> Lord, 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 Lord. You don't understand right now. I'm, you know, I, I'm a volunteer missionary, right? This ain't Africa, okay? Okay, this isn't South America. Plus I do children's ministry. She ain't a kid. She's a grown adult. She can fend for herself. Plus, I was embarrassed because I'm vain and I care about what people think about me. And I'm not great one-on-one -on -one ministering Jesus. I'm not comfortable with that. And I'm, I was embarrassed to do it. But the Lord kept on nudging me, nudging me, nudging me. And I was like, fine. <sighs> do you want to say yes to Jesus? <laughs> she said, yes, I do. And I was like, Wow. Yeah. We start praying. I forget what to pray. Thank God we say this prayer, the yes prayer, like every single Sunday and Wednesday. It just came to me. I'm like, I know I can't need a savior. I know I can't save myself. She says yes to Jesus. We get off the plane. I give her my card. I'm like, hey, if you need anything, prayer, let me know. She emails me like three months later. My life's changed. I got peace on the inside. I think she was finding a church. God was working in her life because she said yes to Jesus. In that moment, in that moment, I was just a guy. I wasn't a part-time missionary. I wasn't a media pastor or children's pastor. I wasn't a pastor's son. I was just a guy on an airplane that happened to have a phone charger in the wrong place who's willing to get out of my comfort zone and ask someone if they want to say yes to Jesus. A real simple, small act. But when you find your place in God's kingdom, you'll find life. And that's my prayer for every single individual here. Let's pray. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, Matt, I've never said yes to Jesus and I want to say yes to him today. Or maybe you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. If that's you and you're sitting here this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus or if you want to rededicate your life, I'd love for you to raise your hand. You don't have to come on down. You don't have to step up to the front. Just raise your hand. Let me see those hands. I see those hands. That's right. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it all together. You can put your hands down. We're going to say it together as one big Ark Church family because that's what we are. I want you to repeat after me. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead.
right now. I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.